0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. You may have guessed, Father Tom and Deacon Karen are on the weekend. I want to talk to you this morning about this reading from uh, James. I want to look at James 4, verses 1 through 10. big idea today is that um, God wants us to be at peace with ourselves and with one another and with him, and the enemy wants us to be at war with ourselves and one another and with him. It's an ongoing struggle. It's an ongoing battle. So today James talked to us, talks to us about war. Unfortunately, war is a fact of life. Despite treaties, the U.N., diplomats, the threat of nuclear annihilation, wars are still with us. And there's wars almost on every level of life. Some are important, like World War I, World War II, Vietnam, the rest of it. Then there are some that are more trivial. When I was uh, in college, one of the jobs I had was an all-night manager of a Clark gas station. Anybody ever go to a Clark station in the Midwest? And I did that for two years, and I think the price of gas for those two years varied between 30 and 33 cents a gallon. But when there was a gas war, it would go down to 17 cents a gallon. And other stations were like, (laughs) Dave's going, what? What are you talking about? 17 cents a gallon. How many of you have ever bought gas for 17 cents a gallon? A few of you, yes. That's not the kind of war we're talking about today, though. Uh, In this passage, James explains three wars that are going on in the world, the war with each other, wars with ourselves, and wars with God. So first, the war with each other. And again, I want to just overshadow this whole thing with the idea that this is what we're dealing with is spiritual warfare. We don't, we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and powers, whether it's within ourselves, with one another, whether it's with God, whether it's within, in churches or schools or communities or whatever it is. When you see that kind of division, isolation, conflict going on, it's the enemy trying to get to God's people. That's what we're dealing with. And the more, the more you know the enemy, the more success we're going to have. So James is asking what causes wars among you. And he's really talking, remember, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to nonbelievers. He's talking to Christians because in the early churches, for example, in the Corinthian church, uh, they're suing each other in court. In the Galatian church, they're, he said, biting and devouring each one, one another. In the Philippian church, women were quarreling. And Paul had to admonish the Ephesian church to cultivate spiritual unity. So in all these early churches, this was going on. There there were difficulties. We fight over things like, for example, worship. Sometimes you, you really have to pick your battles. True story, in the Midwest years ago, there was a church that split. Okay, there was a church split. Half the church left. But the issue was critical issue was of great importance, and the issue was whether to use Cool Whip or whipped cream on desserts at church socials. It split the church. Now, there were people with what I would call spiritual depth if that split the church. How sad is that? That was otherwise known. We have things called the worship wars over uh, what kind of music are we going to have? Are we going to have organ music or are we going to have a praise band? Being Anglicans, we have both. What about the liturgy? Are, you going to, are Will you wear vestments? You look so Catholic. Well, we sound Protestant. You know, the Holy Spirit is welcome and present and active in this place. Incense. When we went to church at St. John's in Illinois, we had incense every Sunday. Every Sunday. What what would you think if we had incense every Sunday here? Some of you would like it. Most of you would think, what the heck? Bells. What are those bells for? Why we ring it? How come we don't have bells that are four bells and you ring it like that? Why do we have to have, oh, I can see heads nodding. Yeah, what's with this bell thing? You, you know, you ring it like one time. What is. Who can be married? Who can't be married? Who are you going to bury? Who are you going to baptize? We can always find to fight about, it seems. It's unfortunate that we're at war with one another so often. The world watches the religious wars and says, Behold, not how they love one another, but behold how they hate one another. Now, some things such as truth are worth fighting for. We've experienced that, going from grace to Christ the King. But most of the stuff isn't really worth that much. And do we know the difference? We could have had a lot of fights about this building, this church, this property. But God was in the midst of it. And any time something would rise up, we sort of recognized it for what it was and prayed through it and worked through it, and here we are. And once the decision was made to come here, and it just all came together. I remember Carol Trow was the head of the altar guild at that time. We didn't take anything from grace when we started Christ the King. And people lined up to say, I'll, I'll, I'll get this, chalices, this, whatever you got it. And somebody stepped up and bought all those white tables and chairs downstairs. Somebody stepped up and bought all the hymnals. Somebody stepped up and bought all the prayer books. Somebody stepped up. You just couldn't do enough to make this work. It was really uh, an example of unity, and it was a blessing to be part of it. It really was. It was just, for me, it was incredible. James says that even though we're members of the same family, and are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit and hopefully embrace the same Savior as Lord, we fight one another because we are at war with ourselves. He says the cause of all this conflict out there is conflict in here. What's going on within you? And he says that the cause of the fights and quarrels among us come from the desires that battle within our hearts. The wars in the heart are helping to cause the wars in the church and everywhere else. So selfish ambition and bitterness, anger and resentment Remember the essence, essence of sin is selfishness. I want what I want when I want it. And the last line of Joshua says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. People were completely self-centered. I'll make up my own rules. That doesn't work for me. I'm not going to do that. I want to do it my way. If it benefits me, it's good. If it doesn't benefit me, it's bad. That was the moral standard. And so often today, that's the moral standard that we're dealing with as well. Remember my definition of evil evil is evil cares nothing for the truth and is motivated only by self-interest. And as we look around our world today, we see example after example after example of individuals and institutions that care not for the truth and are motivated only by self-interest. That's the enemy. That's the enemy at work. So selfish desires lead to wrong actions. James says they can even lead to wrong prey. He says that when we ask, we don't receive because we ask with wrong motives. We're self-serving in our prayers. It's like we have a laundry list of requests And we put our prayers in the vending machine, and we press F9. I didn't get the job. I put my prayers in. E11, I'm still sick. I put my prayers in. Where are you? What's going on? You know, A14, whatever it is. We, we treat God like some kind of vending machine. We put in our prayers. We expect to, what we want to come out to come out. And if it doesn't, we question him. We doubt. We get discouraged. Remember, two vital, important, powerful weapons of the enemy, doubt and discouragement. Things don't always work out the way we want to, but they work out the way God wants to when we're faithful. When our prayer life is off, our whole Christian life is our whole Christian life is off. And the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. And sometimes, unfortunately, we get that reversed. So, people who are at war with themselves because of selfish desires—I don't know if you ever noticed—they tend to be unhappy people. People who are all—we talked about this in the Bible study this morning. People who tend to be all about themselves tend to be unhappy because they're always comparing themselves to other people, what other people have that they don't have, the kind of life they're living that they're not able to live. And this has been exacerbated unbelievably by social media because people look on social media and see how wonderful apparently everybody else's life is. What about me? How come I don't have that? How come I'm not there? How come I'm not this successful or have that many friends? Boy, you know, so-and-so. Likes, and I don't get as many as they do. And so you start to feel bad about yourself. Unnecessarily, wrongly, but it's the way it is. Always looking for that magic something that will change their lives and are always disappointed because the problem is within their own hearts. I saw this making great in the Navy. People were never satisfied with where they were, the rank they had, or the position they had. They were always looking for the next thing rather than enjoying where they were, rather than appreciating what they had, where they were, and then letting God sort of take over and move you ahead. Once I gave up managing my own naval career, I was much more content and happier because I saw God's hand in it where I hadn't before. I came to faith in 1982, and... I was a lieutenant commander in the Navy, and so my initial thought was, this is God's. Church is God's. Prayer is God's. That's good. Bible is God's. But what does he know about the Navy? Not much. Was he ever in the Navy? No. What does he know about family? Really? I'll take care of that part. I'll take care of this part. And we, what we tended to do, I did at least, compartmentalize my life. This is God's, this is mine. This is God's, this is mine. I, no, 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 no. It's all his. It's all his. And until we get to the point where we break down the walls and it all comes together, it's not going to work the way he intended it to. And so finally we're at war with God. The root cause of every war, internal and external, is rebellion against God. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. And at the beginning of creation, we see perfect harmony. It all was working well. Then sin came into the world, and this led to conflict. Sin is lawlessness, and lawlessness is rebellion against God. And the way we declare war against God is by being friendly with the enemies of God, namely the world, the flesh, and the devil. Heard me say that recently, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world, by the world, James means human society apart from God. And more and more and more, we see it all the time, God is being pushed to the outer limits of society. Society becomes less friendly to God. Try being a football coach, going out after the game at the 50-yard line and kneeling down and saying a prayer without any players around. See what happens to you. Uh, Sorry, but you can't have a Bible on your desk, chaplain, chaplain in the military, because that's offensive. It's not inclusive enough. So why don't you put it in a drawer and stop upsetting people? You know? That kind of thing. The winter festival versus the Christmas program. And on and on and on, the way God has been pushed to the edges of society. Christian gets involved with the world gradually. It doesn't happen all right away or overnight. Little by little, we compromise our principles and convictions. And before you know it, we look in the mirror one day and we ask, how did I get like this? What happened? I didn't used to be like this. This is who I am. What What happened? It happens because the decisions we made, we, we don't think they really matter. We give in on one little point. One point leads to two and so on. It's, decepti- it's, it's, it's deceptive and, and diabolical. Well, it's, no, it's just coffee. We're just having coffee. Or well, we're just having lunch. No, no, it's just, just dinner. How did I wake up next to you? You're not my wife. It was just coffee. I didn't mean it to go anywhere. No, 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 no. I was, well, you know, I, I, I needed the money. And I, and I, don't, I wouldn't normally do this, but I really needed the money. So I'm going to take it from the company, but I'll be sure to pay it back. I'll be sure to pay it back. Well, then I got behind a little bit more, and I needed a little bit more. And now I'm really up to my eyeballs in embezzlement. But it didn't mean it to start that way. You know. Here's how it works. So Kathy, come here. So you get married. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful? And it's all good, and you're like rock solid, right? And it's all good. You go on a great honeymoon. And then what do you what happened you have a kid? You have a baby, and then things kind of get a little bit. Di- but you know, this is okay. This is normal. This is normal. You get used to that. Yeah, I see. It. And then you have another baby. Hmm. And then, and then you shift jobs. Yeah, and you, or you have another baby. And then somebody might get sick, so more of your time is taken up with that. And then it doesn't work. And you look at each other and you say, I don't know what happened. We just drifted apart. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You weren't paying attention. You weren't paying attention to what was really, really important. This is what's really important. This right here. Really? I mean it. You can't let this go. And we let things get in between this because you're going to be together long after your kids, well, that works sometimes. Long after your kids are gone. There, I, I could never understand why guys retiring from the Navy got divorced. It, it happened a lot. And what happened was he was married to the Navy and she got, she said, well, if you're married to the Navy, I'm married to the kids. And when he retired from the navy, the navy was gone and, and all of a sudden the kids were grown and gone too. Now what? And they turn around and say, What was your name again? Because they didn't develop the relationship that they needed to make it work. So that's that's something the enemy does to us over time, very slowly. The flesh, the old nature we inherited from Adam is prone to sin. The flesh is not the body, and the body is not sinful. The body is neutral. The spirit, we are new creatures in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ, but we still have to deal with this because the enemy keeps knocking on the door over and over and over again. He does. The devil. Peter says the devil is like a roaring lion devouring whom he will. Stay out of the circle of danger, and you'll be okay. Trouble comes when we venture too close to the enemy or give him a foothold in our lives, grows to be a root and becomes more difficult to dislodge. It's that root of bitterness. And James tells us to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I look at the uh, I look at the uh, Jesus in the wilderness. How he just said a couple of words to the devil Satan, and he had to quit. Man does not live by bread alone. I shall have no other gods before me. You know, and just those quick one-liners from God's word was enough to wipe them out. And we need to recognize things that are happening when they happen, that they're really the enemy at work trying to get a hold of us in our lives. So these are the three enemies that uh, want to turn us away from God, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And left over from our old sin of life, Christ has delivered uh, us from them. But they still attack us. So then the question is, how do we overcome that? How can we be friends of God and enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil? So James has three instructions to give us along that line. First, he says, Jesus tells us to submit to God. James tells us to submit to God. And the word is a military term that means get into your proper rank, submit, know your place. The seaman is not the captain. I'm not the captain. God's the captain. I'm taking my orders from him, right? I'm not making this up. I want to be under his authority in every aspect of my life. There's no part of my life that I don't want God to be in charge of whatever that might be. There should be unconditional surrender to God because if any area of our life is not surrendered to God, we're going to experience those kinds of battles. And whether it's fear or lust or greed or anger, you name your poison. The current situation in the world, I mean every aspect of it seems to be falling apart right now. The enemy knows our Achilles heel and is even now working to trip us up The way to resist the devil is to submit to God. He knows where we're weak, and he'll go after that area of our life where he thinks he has the best chance to take us down. And we have to be careful and know that that's what we're dealing with. For example, for a lot of people, if they have a choice between security and freedom, they're taking security over freedom. It's it's happening. That's a choice that we make. God wants us to be free, and he wants us to be safe, but he also wants us to be free. Second, James says, draw near to God. The question is how. It says, by confessing our sins and asking for his cleansing. So when I wash my hands up here, they call it when when, when the priest washes his hands or her hands, uh, the ablutions. It's called the ablutions or the cleansing, the washing. I say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I've said that ever since I've been a priest. In 2006, Kathy and I went to Ireland, and I found out that that is the current motto. I didn't know that. When I get up, when we wake up in the morning, I'll say, this is the day the Lord has made. Creating me a clean heart, O God. That's how I get out of bed in the morning. That's how we start our day, Creating me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. It's purposeful. It's intentional. Don't leave this to chance. The more we're like God, the nearer we are to God. That's that part of life that's transformation, sanctified transformation, becoming more and more who Christ has called us to be. And God deals graciously with us when we deal with a sin in our lives that keeps us At a distance, the enemy. So finally, James says, to humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. George Washington Carver, the scientist who developed hundreds of useful products from the peanut, said, When I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, That knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. And then God said, Well, George, that's more nearly your size. And he told me, you know. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. That's a really popular worship song from that verse. Uh, It's possible also to submit outwardly but not be humbled inwardly. Like the little girl in church sitting next to her father, and she stood up in the pew, and he said, sit down. She sat down, but she got up. Sit down. She got up. I told you this is the last time, sit down. She sits. And she looks at her father and says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Where's my heart? God hates the sin of pride. C.S. Lewis once said that the sins of the flesh were mere flea bites on the sin of pride. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Abraham Lincoln, from the day of humili- National Day of Humiliation uh, and Prayer, 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, And that's what Abraham Lincoln had to say. Pride is the big one. We may have a tendency to take sin too lightly. In fact, we don't hear too much about sin anymore. Somebody gave me this definition of sin once. He told me that sin is a slight miscalculation on the way to self-actualization, which may be remedied at any time of my choosing. Let me say that again. A slight miscalculation on the way to self-actualization, which may be remedied at any time by my choosing. Really? That's what sin is? No. Sin is turning your back on God and going your own way. God takes sin seriously, and we need to as well. One mark of true humility is facing our sin and dealing with our disobedience. False humility... Or regret says, "I can't believe I did this." True humility and repentance says, "I can believe I did this. Is this is only the tip of the iceberg of what I'm capable of?" That's honesty. And I want to admit that. And I want to not be that person. I want to go God's way, not the enemy's way. So I truly believe that if we obey these instructions, God will draw near. Cleanse us, forgive us, and the wars will cease. We will no longer be at war with God, so we will not be at war with ourselves, and this means we will not be at war with others. So when we're at odds with someone, and ask God to reveal to you you the source of the problem, where is this coming from? Where am I not right with God? Where do I need to repent? Where am I not submitting to God? Where am I being too proud to bring myself under God's authority? So these are the questions that James poses to us today. And I pray we take the time to take them seriously and find the answers that we may be at one with God, others, and ourselves. Amen. Now, we're not going to have a video.